Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin. This is the audio version of each episode of the Empire Files hosted on Telesaur English. You can watch every episode at theempirefiles.tv. Venezuela, a country painted as a failed state by U.S. politicians and corporate media, one that is under a total dictatorship, brutally repressing free speech and the right to protest. The protests, which have been going on for three months, are across the board uncritically romanticized and celebrated by the mass media. Many outlets are openly calling for regime change. Since President Chavez was elected in 1998, the U.S. government has paid over $50 million to the opposition movement. Now, Senator Marco Rubio just spearheaded a bill pledging another $20 million to, quote, defend human rights, among other types of aid. Long wanting to overthrow the democratically elected socialist government, U.S. politicians are seizing the moment of unrest for regime change. The stable and peaceful Venezuela is in the best interest of the entire hemisphere. We will be working with Colombia and other countries on the Venezuelan problem. It is a very, very horrible problem. And from a humanitarian standpoint, it is like nothing we've seen in quite a long time. With new U.S. sanctions, direct threats from the Trump administration to overthrow another sovereign government, and corporate media painting a one-sided narrative, I wanted to go see the reality on the ground for myself. During my investigation in Venezuela, spending nearly three weeks in Caracas, one thing was a constant, traffic jams from guarimbas or protest barricades, intended to disrupt life in the city. While most things carried on like normal, some parts of the city were always inaccessible, with police and military constantly scurrying to whatever streets were shut down that day. Knowing how much mass protests define life in Venezuela, as well as the media coverage, I attended an opposition protest in Miranda State near Caracas. The demonstration, which consisted of thousands of people, was a peaceful gathering, with typical speeches and chants. What is your biggest problem with what's happening right now? I think right now the biggest problem is uh, that the president don't want us to go to election because if we go, he knows he's, he's, he's going to lose. There's no constitution. The rule of law does not exist. This is an absolute dictatorship in Venezuela. There's repression. There's a constant and severe tyranny. Out with the dictator in Venezuela. We don't want him. We're suffering from hunger, misery, anxiety, and depression. We want this regime to get out along with all of their followers so that peace and tranquility is reinstated in this country. 17 years and some months, the country is, is every day falling down, down, down. It doesn't work if you don't have money, if you have money, excuse me. Because if you have money, you need uh, medicine, you don't, you don't have where to buy it. I have 27 years old and I'm married. And my wife, she doesn't buy anything that she wants to. What, you said you've been fighting since 2002. What happened? Um, why have you been fighting so long in the streets? Because I've never, I've never been Chavista because um, I knew that where, where, where it will end everything, okay? Because they have um, a wrong idea what revolution is. My father took me to uh, to um, to a riot, and 
one riot take me another, and it's it, it in years. They just want to plant communism, another Cuba, that's all. Cuba won't release us because if they do, they can't eat any longer. Is the United States doing enough to help Venezuela? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, like, that we are helping, like, we a lot of Venezuelans live in the States, so we send, like, the, the Green Cross, like, the one who helped with the... Um, medicine, like the ones who help the, pro the protesters that get hit, they get a lot of help from the states. I wish it was so that the United States and the rest of the countries of the world would help us. Is the United States doing enough to help Venezuela? Yes, they are doing fine. Along with Luis Almagro, Secretary General of the Organization of American States. But we need an outcome. We need a happy ending. We want international support from the United States. It's very important that they help us from New York. They need to help us, to help us nonstop. We need the U.S. to turn up their power towards us and it will be well received. We are very near Plaza Altamira right now, where the opposition looks like it's setting up a barricade. This is a tactic that the opposition does to deter traffic, to cause a lot of problems here in Caracas. Uh, we're going to go follow them right now and see what's going on. As the sun started to set, things began to change. Smaller groups donning masks and shields started forming up. While the majority of the crowd held a candlelight vigil to commemorate those killed in the protests, the others lit flames of their own. They poured incendiary liquid in the streets and began stopping traffic. Plaza. There are thousands of protesters down there for the March of the Torches. Right now, um, there are a couple dozen protesters right here with shields, helmets, masks. Um, they're lighting fires. They're, they're, they're doing a blockade. They say their tactics is to get as many people out in the street as they possibly can. Well, up to what we know, we are protesting because we want a better Venezuela, like the one that existed before. Well, look, I, to our knowledge, that is a dictatorship, and we can't live with the Cubans here in Venezuela because it's bad. If you see the dictatorship we are going through, there's a scarcity of food and all that. We only want to retake how things were before. And how many people have the government killed uh, security forces, military police so far? There have been more than 200 or less, about 180 dead. And what are the demands uh, right now for protesters? What we want is, mostly, well, ousting the president. We want elections. We fight for elections because we want to change everything. And we need a new president that helps our country, really. The only message we can send from the resistance to the rest of the world is help us. That's the first thing we ask for. Because when you look at it, we go to the streets and the first thing you see is the government repressing us. At the moment, we cannot show you the bullets they shoot, these large marbles of iron. The guy killed in Los Teques yesterday was shot with a marble. And it's a lie. They don't shoot tear gas or pellets. They're shooting live rounds. Gunshots. That's a bullet. And this is true. And Maduro says it's a lie. This is true. 
They only shoot and shoot. Several times we were aggressively surrounded by masked protesters, demanding to see what media outlet we worked for. Only when they heard that we were from the United States did they back down, but told me to only film repression against them, not their actions. As the crowd grew, they announced they would be marching to block the major freeway. Protesters and squadrons of motorbikes began mobbing through the streets, setting fires and creating roadblocks along the way. Highway right now. We just talked to some protesters who said that they're blocking the highway. They just set up a barricade of fire. They're doing it down there. Um, the National Guard is about to come, which they say uh, they want us to see how they oppress them when they do come. Stopping cars leaving the highway, they trapped drivers on the offering. I talked to several in the heat of the offensive. At the moment, they have done nothing, but we come to represent. Today, we won't stay still. We are still fighting, fighting for freedom and fighting against this 17-year-old dictatorship. How, how hard is it to live under a dictatorship? It is very hard because, as an entrepreneur, you don't work for yourself, but for the government. You cannot be independent. All of your work and effort is for the government, and that's what we don't want here. Uh, what is what is this? What, what are you carrying? This is what they attack us with. With this, they have killed our fellow fighters in the chest. And all those corrupt people and government officials, they have to go. They must go to prison. It is unbearable that people are killing each other to buy cornmeal or a package of rice, when the government should provide all of this, because this is a human right, being able to work and have food and freedom of speech. Then the protest moved onto the highway itself, shutting down all lanes in both directions. Most surprising is how they did this, taking over two large trucks. So right now we're on the highway. Every single entrance to the highway has been blockaded, lit on fire, and um, now we're looking at two enormous trucks that have been somehow taken over and maneuvered in order to block the main thoroughfare of the highway right now. Protesters held the freeway like this for some time, according to them, waiting for state forces to respond. Then they commandeered a third truck, pushing it towards the edge of the freeway. Below was Miranda Air Force Base. They started hurling rocks and chunks of concrete at the base below, and that's when soldiers guarding the base responded.
fired several tear gas canisters that landed directly in front of me and my team, and the protesters quickly retreated from the freeway back to the streets above. Uh, apparently there's an Air Force base there and they're throwing rocks yeah. to the big okay. blockade, and then they hurled tear gas canisters over the side. We got hit, <laughs> but not really hard because it wasn't that close. The protest regrouped at their fallback position when National Guard soldiers I couldn't see fired more tear gas. This time, staying on the front lines hurt a bit more. So yeah, right after I said I didn't get hit hard with tear gas, uh, we're running away and you know there's, there's all these provocations with the police and the protesters and they just started hurling tear gas canisters at us and we were just caught in a com huge plume of tear gas. It was extremely painful. Uh, my eyes were really, really burning. I felt like I was blind for like five minutes, so that just happened. While soldiers had cleared the freeway, protesters continued to block several intersections in the area with more trucks and barricades. What I had experienced was a typical Guarimba, a few hundred or less semi-armed protesters ruling the streets, shutting down as much as they can, using largely violent tactics. They push as far as they can go until security forces respond, then flee with new photos of repression. Given what the media has been saying, I was shocked to learn that there were no arrests that night. It seems like there certainly is a right to protest in Venezuela and the curated images we see in the news are obscuring a much darker, deadlier reality. Since the beginning of the protest on April 6th through July 1st, we found 95 deaths attributed to the protests, with over 1,000 injured. Of that 95, 11 have unknown or undetermined connections to the protests and are murders that took place in the vicinity of a protest. So let's look at the remaining 84 deaths. It is true that many protesters have been killed by police and the National Guard. Several have been killed in shootings and two killed by tear gas. According to Venezuela's Attorney General, one of the most outspoken critics of the government's response, 23 deaths are attributed to state forces. Many investigations into alleged killings by state forces are still ongoing. In several cases, people were first reported in the media to have been killed by state forces but evidence later revealed that they were actually killed by opposition weapons. <laughs> but let's assume that number is correct. 23. So if only 23 out of the 84 are attributed to state forces, what has caused the majority of the deaths? The remaining 61. Those 61 actually have been caused by opposition protesters. Many of those killed directly in murders and political assassinations. Let's look at those numbers that so many unquestioningly attribute to state repression. We found 23 to have been indirectly killed by opposition violence in a variety of ways. For example, six people have died in vehicle accidents while trying to escape opposition barricades. 
three are civilians who died because opposition barricades prevented life-saving ambulances from reaching them. Nine of those 23 are opposition protesters who accidentally killed themselves. One in an explosion from an opposition mortar, and eight electrocuted themselves to death while looting a bakery. In addition to these indirect deaths from opposition violence, 38 people have been directly killed by opposition violence. 16 of those 38 are seemingly random killings of civilians at opposition barricades or near a protest. Seven of the 38 are police and National Guard members killed by protesters. Six of them were shot by protesters, and one National Guard member was beaten to death by a mob of protesters. One would think these facts would be included in a fair report of force used by the state. But more heinously, 14 deaths are political murders and assassinations of Chavistas and government supporters by the opposition. Most were targeted for attending a pro-government demonstration or for being identified as Chavistas. Two were socialist figures who were kidnapped, tortured, and executed. Most chilling was the lynching of 21-year-old Orlando Figueroa, who was brutally beaten, stabbed, and burned alive by opposition protesters. According to an interview with Orlando in the hospital, they yelled, hey black guy, see what happens to Chavistas, before throwing a Molotov cocktail on him and lighting him aflame. Orlando died from his injuries just days later. At least four other people have been set on fire but lived, allegedly for being Chavistas, and many others brutally beaten by opposition mobs. So of those 84 fatalities associated with the protest movement, 23 deaths are allegedly from state repression and 61 deaths from opposition violence. As surprised as I was to see that the reality of these numbers is so warped, I was completely unprepared for what would happen to me for simply reporting these facts. Because I question the validity of the fatality count being 100% due to state forces, prominent opposition spokespeople created a false hysteria over an outrageous lie that myself and Empire Files producer Mike Preisner were not journalists, but in fact working directly for the government intelligence forces, and that we weren't actually conducting interviews of protesters, but taking their pictures to turn into police forces. And not only that, but the police had then arrested protesters based on our intelligence. The life-threatening lie was first promoted by professor at Venezuela's Simone Bolivar University and opposition activist, Jose Vicente Carrasquero. The rumors were echoed and exaggerated by several prominent opposition journalists, like Manuel Malaver and Miami reporter Angie Perez. The disinformation campaign incited a virtual lynch mob against us for days, which translated into real-life stalking and threats calls to fine and kill us, doxing of personal information, and more. Revealing their characters, scores of opposition Twitter accounts specifically used the word lynch when calling for violence against us. More than that, this opposition hate campaign also posted the address of an event Mike was speaking at, inciting people to come confront us, and worse. Dozens of Venezuelan expats actually showed up, chanting against socialism, and tried to physically force their way into the event to disrupt it. But the threats of violence were not empty. Just days later, a Telesaur journalist was actually shot in the back by opposition protesters when her and her team were viciously attacked with Molotov cocktails, bullets, and explosives. Many other journalists have also been called infiltrators and attacked, like when a Global Vision crew was doused with gasoline by protesters at a recent demonstration and told to leave or they would get burned. Amazingly, international human rights organizations like Human Rights Watch and the Committee to Protect Journalists have been silent on the attacks on journalists from the opposition and have only condemned the government for press repression.
For as much as Venezuela's poor is used as the basis of the international media campaign to oust the government, the poor people from the barrios of Venezuela are not the ones protesting. The marches and violent guarimbas are concentrated in only a few states where the middle and upper class areas are, most of them run by opposition governors or mayors. And the targets of the protesters speak volumes about the nature of the opposition. Factories, public transportation, socialist party offices, hospitals, and clinics have all been attacked. Even the childhood home of Chavez was set on fire. They've also set fire to the government's housing ministry, the Supreme Court, and more. In one case, a maternity clinic was raided, and the facility besieged by opposition forces for two days. A cultural center I visited, which gave free music lessons to youth and provided space for art collectives, had also recently been attacked and vandalized by opposition protesters. Ironically, even though protesters use food shortages as one of their main grievances, they frequently attack food distribution centers. Most recently, they burned a warehouse containing 50 tons of food intended for schoolchildren. The representatives of the opposition don't denounce the violent guarimbas sustained by the small contingent of protesters. In fact, top opposition leaders have directly called for violence. But there's another side of this story. The millions of Venezuelan voices who are rendered invisible to the Western media. There has been a very strong economic war on the part of the sectors and the bourgeois elite and the entrepreneurs towards the people. Those who produce food, those who produce staple goods have been hoarding them, much like what they did to Salvador Allende in Chile. Look, really we are living in a process of polarization in Venezuela, where to identify someone as a member of the revolution, or something that has to do, for example, with Comandante Chavez, they point us out, beat us, burn us, kill us. We are categorized by our skin color, our hair. There are a number of factors that have caused us revolutionaries to be concerned about going to the streets. Because they identify us easily because we're not afraid to wear clothing that identifies us as Chavistas. The situation in the streets is quite tense, quite complicated by this situation, by a group of people who don't believe in tolerance and does not respect others thinking differently. And what do they do to you if they see that you're a Chavista? I mean, what have they done to people who identify themselves as this? Look, they point us out, corner us, threaten us. At least to me, in my house, in my building. I was given a car from the revolution, and they threw human excrement on the hood. They scratched the car. They write things to my mother for being a spokesperson for the communal council and for the new system of distributing food. My mom was pointed out and trapped in an elevator. So that is what happens to us Chavistas, for wanting to help others. They point us out and mistreat us. There are some people who are filled with hatred. There are some people who are filled with hatred and they want to divert it towards people, hurting people. They want trouble, but they are a minority if we go to the statistics. Do you think that you live in a dictatorship? No, not at all. Here you can see that people have free transit. People do what they want to, participate, talk. Even though the country is burning from the sectors of the fascist right, they are burning the country and have committed acts of vandalism, terrorist acts, and the full strength of the law has not been applied to them, like is done in the United States or Europe. These people are going around doing whatever they want. Here a person has free will, freedom to think, to believe in the political, the economic, the social, the cultural, the religious arenas. Whoever says that this is a dictatorship is completely mad. 
So in what kind of dictatorship are there elections where people participate, where people do what they want? That is completely illogical. I am 100% revolutionary Chavista, and I think what the right-wing factions are doing is wrong. The problems can't be solved in the way they propose, with violence and chaos in the streets of Venezuela, in Caracas, by attacking the police, National Guard. I think things should be discussed in a dialogue to solve problems. And as long as they don't have a plan and a leader, they won't be able to oust a government as revolutionary as the one we have today. They are violent people who tend to show only violence by screaming and hitting all these characteristics, but no one is scared here. Actually here, there are many people who are restrained from falling into the same violent game as the others do, because we think that's no way to solve problems. Dialogue and the achievement of a peaceful solution as rational people within philosophy and the human Aristotelian thought, but nobody is scared. Here, there are groups of the left who are really radical and they would like to respond, but we have not done it since the solution must be rational. We can't fall for that reptilian behavior and hurt people. That's their game. Thank you for listening to the Empire Files podcast. If you want to subscribe to our mailing list, please sign up at theempirefiles.tv. We want this show to be a resource for those fighting against empire both here and abroad. Let us know what you think on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Empire Files and Facebook at The Empire Files.